only source of true delight whom I unseen adore Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more Oh that I might love thee more You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dies. Eight verses one through four, and that can be found on page nine forty-four in the Blue Pew Bible. And we just got done talking in Romans seven uh, with hearing such an honest struggle with sin and uh, what that looks like. Um, so much so to where uh, Paul, in talking about the struggle of a sin with an unbeliever, says, "A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death?" And uh, what we're about to read is the gospel. Not only are we forgiven from our sin, but that we are a new creation that God has enabled us to live through the Spirit. Give ear, for this is the very word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. I know uh, chapter 7, many of you are glad we're gone from that chapter. Um, I had every kind of response from every quarter (laughs) on uh, chapter 7. I am working on a, a, a study that I've hope to put out in the next couple of weeks um, uh, to try to deal with that in a holistic way because so many questions are raised from that. Uh, Here in chapter 8, it could be said that this section of Paul is one of the most monumental sections in all of Scripture describing the work of Jesus Christ in such a comprehensive, glorious way. So we are in the thick of the riches of his word here. You don't ever want to say, well, this is the best because all of it's good, but this is such a rich and packed uh, section of Scripture. Uh, One commentator, though, uh, likened it to what is said, the the kind of comical thing said about Hamlet. Somebody says, well, Hamlet's all full of quotes. And by that, of course, that does anybody really know the argument of Hamlet, you know, the, the plot of Hamlet, the characters in Hamlet, the interaction and the, the rich language of Hamlet? No, we kind of know it, but yeah, I know Hamlet. It's full of quotes. Um, and so R- Romans 8 is kind of like that. And Romans 8, in the beginning of it, these first verses, is kind of like that. We kind of know it by its quotes, you know, the little parts of it diced up. But do we know it in its context? And uh, that's one thing we're going to deal with uh, this today and then when we come back to it. I'm uh, Next week, by the way, Rob is going to be preaching because it's a TCU weekend. And we look forward, brother, to your preaching. And then the next week, I'm gone because our, uh, our daughter-in-law will be induced and our third grandbaby, hopefully born. Uh, and I'm, we're going to be gone that Sunday. And Keith Berger is going to preach. 
I say that to say the second part of this sermon is three weeks from now. So um, today we're going to give a kind of overview of the passage, focusing on this word uh, of condemnation. And then we'll really get into some of the details, uh, though we will go through the whole passage today. We'll get into some of the details because this is one of the uh, most fascinating passages and has some unexpected uh, twists and turns in it that are wonderful for us to consider. But first, just to look at this idea of condemnation, of course, that's the very first thing that comes at us in verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first thing I'd like to point out is kind of the geography uh, of it. That is where this no condemnation is found. Uh, Where is it located? With whom is it located? And we see that it's located in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, united to him, connected to him, associated, joined to him. It is those and those alone in the whole world for whom there is no condemnation. And the implication is outside of that union with Jesus Christ, all is condemnation. But if we are in union with Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And so it shows right off the bat that this is a relational salvation. It is a personal and intimate salvation. It is in our personal association and being joined with the Lord Jesus Christ that we have a place of safety, that we have a place of refuge, that we have a place of protection. And this comes so close to the idea of the ark, doesn't it? The one safe place in all the earth, the one place where you would not be judged and and cast into the sea, the the rising water and drown, is in the ark itself. And Christ is that ark. Christ is that refuge. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't say Christ plus something else. Christ and something else. And it doesn't say, and it doesn't mean that if you attend church that there's no condemnation for you. That if you do a lot of good things, there's no condemnation for you. If you read the Bible and even know the Bible backwards and forwards, doesn't mean that there's no condemnation for you. If you believe there is a God, that doesn't mean there's no condemnation. As James says, Hey, the demons not only believe there's a God, they tremble at that God. This is to imply the demons probably, as the people he's talking to, the demons are probably ahead of you if you want to think of it that way. Because <laughs> I don't think you're even trembling. They tremble. That's how much they are convinced there's a God and he's going to even judge them. So believing in God? No, that in itself doesn't mean that you won't be condemned. It doesn't mean that if you go to Sunday school, that if you teach Sunday school, that if you're a deacon, an elder, or a preacher, that doesn't have anything to do with it. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And up to this point, Paul has made it clear that you are in Christ Jesus by faith and trust. 
In fact, the striking uh, statement of this is in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, where it says that God declares righteous. He declares as being in a right relationship to Him. He declares that we are in His favor and have all benefits from Him. It says, that's what justified basically means, He justifies the ungodly. Not the righteous, not the good people, not the best people, not the most civilized people, not the rich people, not the best dressed people, not the best citizens, not those who've done the best. No. The only person, in a sense, this is viewed in this way, the only person that's justified is an ungodly person. The implication is, too, that part of this process is your own recognition how unlike God you are. How different from God you are. How helpless you are in your sin. The extent of your sin is such that you have rebelled against this God. You have opposed this God. You do not love this God with all of your heart. You do not entrust your life to this God. And you have to come to Him and say, I'm the ungodly. I'm the ungodly. And I trust in you to forgive me. And to declare me righteous and to declare your favor upon me. Not because of anything in me, but because of your mercy and your grace. So there, even in coming to God, even in coming to Him through Jesus Christ, there's this recognition of my unsuitability, (laughs) my sin before Him. The fact that I have basically refused this God. And not put my life in his hands. And so, I want to say that at the outset. That to be in Christ Jesus, to be one who has no condemnation, has nothing to do with the fact that I don't deserve that condemnation. In fact, there's a recognition. and We even ask this in our confession before the congregation. Do you see yourself as a sinner justly deserving his displeasure? We require that as a confession. Do you see yourself in that way that I justly deserve his, I deserve his condemnation because of what I have done against him in my thinking, in my speaking, in my living. Those only are justified. Those, for those only is it pronounced there is no condemnation. Those who are hiding, those who run from God's mercy and don't believe God would forgive them, those who want to hold forth their own righteousness, hold on to their own life, hold on to their own will, hold on to their own idols, their means of coping with life or their means of satisfying themselves and continue not trusting God with their life, then condemnation is upon them. But if we helplessly give ourselves up to Him through Jesus Christ... And we admit, as Jesus says, in, apart from me, you can do no good. Then we, have, we can enter into that place of not being condemned. And so, this, uh, there is one place, one union, one relationship in which we will be safe and have no condemnation in our lives. Now, I'd like to enlarge on that meaning of condemnation. As we're going to see, it means, it's kind of like thinking about a building, 
a building can be condemned, and then you think of the end result of that condemnation is the demolishing of that building. And this word condemnation, as he uses it here, has both of those meanings, the the condemning and the demolition, that we uh, are not condemned nor will we be destroyed. Uh, All of that is removed from us. But let's look some at the extent of the nature of this condemnation. And that comes through because if you're reading in the original language, the very first word you come to, and it's put there for emphasis, is no condemnation. It's even separated from the word that it goes with, condemnation. Just to put it up front, no way, not at all, not in any part or shape or scrap or particle is there condemnation. That's the feel of this. No condemnation. All of it is, it is removed. It's the idea in the Old Testament that I've removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Well, how far is that? Well, it's limited, unlimited, you know. How far does east and west go? I've cast your sins into the deepest part of the ocean. I've cast your sins behind my back. These things to help give us a picture that he doesn't associate our sins with us anymore in the way of condemning us for those sins. There is no condemnation whatsoever before this God. And it's against the backdrop. What makes this more amazing, it's against the backdrop of talking about God's wrath in this letter up to this point. For instance, in the very first chapter in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the wrath of God is made manifest against all of our unrighteousness and ungodliness. And yet here he can say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He speaks in general, about the Gentiles and then turns to the Jews and says, don't don't exclude yourself from this condemnation. He says in chapter 2, verse 5, you, because of your hard and impenitent heart, are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. See, the final day of this world is looked at from many different perspectives. It's the day of salvation. It's the day of the revelation of the children of God. It's the day in which this whole creation will be remade. It's also the day of wrath. The day of wrath. And it is coming upon this world when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so he later, of course, in chapter 3, verse 9, says, We all are under sin. And and verse 19 of that chapter, we're all accountable to God. We all stand before his courtroom condemned and under judgment, under wrath. So that Paul can say in Ephesians 2, 3, we are children of wrath. We belong to wrath, you see. We're intimate with wrath. This is our world. This is our family. This is where we are headed. This is our inheritance as children of wrath. We will receive that wrath. And he says, by nature, we're born into this condition and we manifest how alienated we are from God by our refusal of Him. And he warns in later in Ephesians chapter 5 and Verse 6, in Colossians 3, verse 6, he talks about the wrath that is going to be revealed against those who refuse God. And he warns even the believers. 
to say, don't be deceived that you can just walk the way you want to or walk in sin as a way of life for the rest of your life and think that you won't fall under that same wrath. It's a constant warning in Scripture. And yet here, he says, for those who are in Christ, there is no wrath, no wrath, no condemnation. So he says in Romans chapter 5, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. No, I'm sorry, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We've been justified. We've been declared righteous. We're under His favor. Paul says, it's a cinch then that at the time of the day of wrath, we will be saved from that wrath. We will be rescued from that wrath. And I love the passage in 1 Thessalonians when Paul gives a comprehensive view of what happened with the Thessalonians. He says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It is only Jesus that delivers us from the wrath to come. And that's your life. You turn to God to serve God and to wait for for Jesus who delivers us from that wrath. And so, amazingly, though this wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness, though we deserve that wrath and are children of wrath, Paul is able to say, without any mixture, without any condition, without any if, ands, and buts about it, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, not even a little. Now, what does that mean, no condemnation? And I want to say just several things in connection with that. We saw first that it is in Christ. We saw, we're seeing in the second place, there is no condemnation. Well, what does that mean that there's no condemnation? First of all, it means there is only favor on God's people. So we need to think of the positive as we do the negative. No condemnation means only favor, always favor, never judgment. Well, there can be discipline, yes. What what parent doesn't discipline his child? But that comes out of love. It comes out of his goodness, the goodness that is poured out into us and upon us. And that's why he is able to say, because there's no condemnation and there's only favor, he can say in verse 28 that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Because there's no condemnation. None. It's only favor. Only favor. That's why he can say in verse 31 that if God is for us, who can be against us? Because there's no condemnation. That's why he can say, if he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not graciously give us all things? Because there's no condemnation. He even says later in verse 34, who is there to condemn? There's no condemnation. And that's why nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, because there is only favor. And that's why a passage like one that we've many of us have memorized in uh, 
Lamentations, where he says that your mercies are new every morning. It's as though, and I like to think of it as you probably heard me say before, like the sea, like when you're at the beach, a good beach. Sometimes on the Alabama beach, you can't really hear any waves because there are hardly any waves. But let's just imagine a really good beach, you know, with really good waves, the crashing of waves. That's a great sign of the mercy of God coming to you. And there's not, this mercy has come at you and it's not even through coming at you until the next mercy comes at you. And that's not through until the next mercy comes at you. And they're always coming at you. And that's all that's coming at you. That's all that's coming at you is mercy, mercy, kindness, goodness. Even in the worst things, it's a function, it's a part of His kindness and favor upon you, doing you good, bringing good into your life, even in the worst of situations, even in death itself. Nothing stops Him from doing good to His people. He is Lord, and because there is no condemnation, it means only mercy in your life. Secondly, this no condemnation, not only does it indicate that there is only favor in your life, but the favor is not only being rescued from the guilt of sin, but from the power of sin. That's part of the favor that God has, part of the no condemnation. So this is another bit of kind of the geography of it, that it stretches further than we think. We tend to think that condemnation only is in regard to the guilt that we have before God. But this passage particularly is talking about the power of sin in our lives. It's against the backdrop of of former chapters 7 and even 6 in talking about how we had a life of sin and death and it was a treadmill of sin and death. It was a process, a, a world of sin and death and we couldn't escape that world but God has delivered us from that old creation of sin, the pattern of sin that leads to death and condemnation. And so if God is going to bring us out of condemnation, He has to break that pattern of death that leads to condemnation, you see. He has to. Else we will be condemned because we'll continue in the pattern of sin that leads to condemnation. And so, in this very passage, you'd, you'd expect him to say, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ has died for your sins. See, we tend to think that. It must only apply to our guilt to say, God will not condemn you. He will not judge you because Jesus has died for your sins. But that's not the first thing Paul says. He says there's no condemnation on you because the spirit, the, 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 the powerful uh, exerting force of the spirit of life has set you free from that force of sin and death. Isn't that interesting? It, it, when you first look at it, it almost doesn't make sense. There's no condemnation on you, and it's shown by this. He has broken forever that pattern of sin that leads to death and condemnation. See, that's just as vital that the guilt of our sin be removed 
It's just as vital that that be removed, uh, that also the power of sin be broken. Because if, if the power of sin dominates us and is our way of life and we are still in the flesh and not in the spirit, then we will be condemned. We will be condemned. And so uh, this power has been broken by the Spirit. And that's when he says the uh, law of the Spirit of life. It's speaking of the authority of that Spirit, the, the authority of that life-giving Spirit that has liberated you from the authority of sin that had you held you down and that ultimately issued in your death and condemnation. The background of that is in chapter 6 where he says, You've been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Verse 18. Or verse 22. You've been set free from sin. You've become slaves of God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So that eternal life has to do with your being set free and being set on a new course of holiness and obedience that leads to eternal life rather than this course of sin and entrapment that the law even increases because it just points out your sin and points out how much you disobey God and that leads into death and condemnations. He has broken that. And so when it says in verse 3, He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. It particularly has that idea, not only of condemning the building, but bringing it to demolition. He destroyed sin in the flesh. He destroyed and broke its power in the flesh. And what's the result in our lives? What was the purpose of doing this? Verse 4. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now we'll look at these things more in more detail in several weeks. But the point is so that we might begin to live out the law of God. That is, that we will begin to love God with all of our heart, that we'll begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. That the essence of that law of submitting to the will of God will be fulfilled in us. And he says, because we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That now we no longer are in the flesh, we're in the spirit. We're no longer under the condemnation of that lifestyle of sin. We've been broken completely free of it by the Holy Spirit based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And so it is none other than Jesus Christ and the spirit that must break this deadly cycle of death and condemnation. And how glorious that this is a part of His salvation. And how glorious that you can think, I'm not condemned in terms of guilt and I'm not condemned in terms of the entrapment of sin. I have, by God's grace, in principle been set free. And it's just a matter of living out that new freedom that God has brought me to. Because it is categorical. The power of the Spirit has set me free. I now, by His grace, don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And this, of course, recalls what he says in chapter 7, verse 6. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. 
But then, finally, there's this stark contrast. This, this no condemnation will all the more show the stark contrast for those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Would you turn just, you may not even have to turn if you've got the ESV, but just on the opposite page, on page 945, in chapter 9, verse 22. <clears throat> Notice what he says. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Notice, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, vessels of mercy prepared for glory. So vessel, in a sense, that is now held so that wrath will be poured out upon it. Destined for destruction as long as they continue to oppose Jesus Christ and those in Christ. Vessels of only mercy. Not wrath and mercy, not some kind. Only mercy. That is what's being poured out into this vessel. And what could be more different than destruction on the one hand, glory on the other? Glory, honor, fullness, completeness. The outshining of the perfections of God from our very being. Having His very character. Having a kingship in which we participate in the rule of Christ forever. How can that be? How can, how can the, John say in Revelation... Or how can it be said to John in Revelation that we will have a rod of iron by which we shatter the, the nations? That's, that's said of the Messiah in Psalm 2. And now it's said of us that we will participate in His glorious kingship. Why? Because there's no condemnation. And if there's no condemnation for anyone in Christ Jesus, literally... The sky is the limit for the good that's going to be done for them because it's only favor. But oh, the contrast, especially because as it says here, He sent His own Son, the intimacy of sending His own Son who in His flesh bore that condemnation. Sin was judged in His flesh, His own Son. As it says in chapter 8 later, we've already quoted it several times, He didn't spare His own Son. He spared Abraham's Son, but He didn't spare His own Son. And then as we've said, He did it for His enemies. He did it for the ungodly. He did it while we were yet sinners. And dear friend, if you refuse this God who has given His Son for you even while you refuse Him. And now He offers Him to you to say, will you not be in My Son? Will you not be in My Son so that you have no condemnation, so that only favor rests upon you for the rest of your life and for all eternity? Will you trust in Him? And you say, no. 
then you will be a vessel of wrath for destruction because you refuse this God who has given even his own son. And so I, I hope that no one here will walk out without rejoicing in this and resting in the mighty work of God. Do you think God wants you to enjoy this? Yes. This is declared. This is for your faith. This is for your encouragement. This is so that all day long you can think, there's no condemnation for me. He even turns to the singular you, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you. You know, when a famous person looks out and says, hey, you, and you're, of course, like, he couldn't be me. You know, and you're looking around for who he's pointing to, you know, because you can't tell. Well, Paul says, you and you and you and you and you, he has set free. You, yes, you, he has set free. God wants you to rejoice. God wants you to be encouraged. God wants you to have the strength of this joy to spend yourself gladly for this God who has taken all condemnation, all guilt, and broken the power of sin for you through the precious work of His Son. May we believe Him. May we trust Him. Let us pray. We praise You, O great God. We praise You. That indeed, for those in Christ, there is no condemnation. And we thank you, Lord, that there is no qualification for being in Christ. We don't have to do a long list of things. We don't have to even fix our life. As even the hymn says, just as I am, I come. Just as I am, lost and broken. Lord, even bringing to you all the weaknesses that we have, all the entrapment that we feel, all the enslavement that perhaps even now some here are feeling. I'll never get free of this. I'm completely embroiled in sin. I'm completely fastened to this way of thinking. I don't even know if I could believe. I don't know if I could love this God I don't know anything, even for us in whatever weak condition you come and say, you say, come, come. I will save you. I will break the power of sin. I will rescue you from the guilt of sin through my son. Oh, Lord, may we come to you afresh. May we rejoice in you, in the greatness of your salvation. Bless us, Lord to see your glory. Amen. pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?